Hi everyone, you're here with Floater Founder Season 2. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here as always with my co-host, Liza and Casey. Hello everyone. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Brian Gelman. He is a doctor of veterinary medicine who opened his own veterinary practice, the Young and St. Clair Veterinary Hospital, about one year ago. So congrats on that one year anniversary and thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you and thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very excited. This is a new experience for me, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's cool to get to interview a vet. We were just uh, saying that um, we've never had anyone who's run their own vet clinic, and so we have a lot of questions because it's very different from um, the type of companies that we're that we're typically used to interviewing, or even that we've run ourselves. Yeah. So to, just to start off, um, tell us about your clinic, uh, downtown Toronto, and um, how you went about um, obtaining your degree and then moving into opening your own practice. Sure. Um, so I'm actually originally from New York, um, and I went. I was born and raised outside of New York City on Long Island, and I uh, attended Cornell University for both my undergraduate and my graduate degrees. Um, following that school, I did a one-year internship in Jersey, and then I moved to Manhattan, where I was a, a staff emergency doctor at one of the uh, larger uh, emergency hospitals in the city. And then uh, I met my wife, or future wife in New York, and we decided to move back to Toronto, which is where she's from, about five, six years ago. I worked at a, uh, a, a general practice here for about five years, and then one year ago, um, actually yesterday was our one-year anniversary, uh, one year ago, as of yesterday, I uh, opened up Young and St. Clair Veterinary Hospital, which is located in about Midtown, you know, Midtown Toronto. Um, Due to some changes at the hospital I was working at, um, there was some corporate takeover. Um, okay, takeover. They basically sold to a corporation, which kind of changed the the long term runway um, for sort of what I envisioned would be the sort of long term potential at that hospital for both myself and the other vets there. So. We opened about a year ago. It was um, actually a process that was started in November 2017. So it took about a year and a half from the time that we actually found the location um, to actually opening our doors. Wow. So that's yeah, quite a, a process. So why did it take so long? Is it a lot of regulations or setup and things like that? So it was a combination of both. I, uh, from a, As a learning experience, Toronto and Ontario as a whole have a lot of um, regulations, I guess, is a way of putting it, both from a veterinary perspective, but also just from a commercial or business perspective. So um, finding a location was obviously for, in my profession, I think is probably one of the more most important aspects of choosing when you're deciding to open up a veterinary hospital to me, the location is one of the most important things. So it took a little bit while to find the location and actually the location that I chose it actually used to be a residential house. So it's located in sort of a commercial a strip of some other commercial buildings, but was zoned as a residence. So it took six to nine months just to convert under Ontario guidelines to get permission to convert the residence into a commercial property. Um, and then it took a little bit longer to kind of convert it from a commercial into approval for a veterinary facility. Um, and then there were construction delays and things like that along the way. So that was quite the learning experience as well. Um, yeah, construction delays are definitely yeah. <laughs> expected always. Yeah, that, I was about to say, that's not, that's not unexpected, right? That's for anyone. <laughs> so that wasn't unexpected, but it was, um, Ontario was definitely quite restrictive, especially for 
you know, a small independent business, the way that they group everyone together is that they don't care if you're, you know, a multi-billion dollar development company or a small independent business like myself, you get kind of grouped together when you're trying to get these rezonings and, and changing the sort of way that the city looks at certain properties and things like that. So um, that was quite frustrating both from an economic standpoint, as well as from just an emotional standpoint, you know, I was kind of teetering on the edge waiting for the city to tell me whether or not I could kind of pursue this dream that I had, um, you know, it, but, but overall, you know, everything worked out and it was, you know, so that's obviously all that matters. It's just part of the learning experience, I guess, of opening your own business is that you can, it's very hard not to get caught on each emotional up and up the waves right the good and the bad you know you get good news one day bad news the other day and i kind of had to convince myself of every time we got an update or something is this you know how how bad a news is it or how good is it right like is it something that's going to completely change our entire plan or is this just another delay where it just involves you know another application or going to another hearing or you know i, I kind of learned to assess each decision as it came down to the degree of sort of what's going to be involved in order to get to our final goal. Um, so that was quite the learning experience for me and um, both professionally, but also kind of taught me how to assess situations as a whole um, that, you know, the, I always ask myself, is there potentially an answer? And if there is, how can we get to the, you know, the answer that we want? Um, so that was a good learning experience um, for myself and, and uh, so that was, yeah. And that was great advice too for like any founder, like everyone goes through that where it's everything is up and down. It's good news one day, mm -hmm. bad news the next, like rejection from this, accepted into this. And so that's good. Um, yeah, I guess same experience always across yeah. the board. I, I always uh, I always feel that the that, that, uh, vets always have a, a really difficult job because uh, the animals never say uh, what's wrong with them. And I feel like a lot of times running a business, there's a lot of... Uh, similarities there because when you're analyzing your business it never tells you like why it's gonna fail it just like fails and you have to look at between the lines to kind of analyze and i'm just kind of curious what how how do you go about trying to figure out what's wrong with an animal when it's kind of really difficult for them to tell you anything how they're feeling it's a great i mean, first of all that analogy is that's a great analogy i never thought of it that way but i like that that's uh i'll use that in the future um I actually, it's funny, I just did, because of this unfortunate situation that we're in right now with, you know, COVID, I actually just did a Zoom class for a group of kindergartners yesterday, and I got asked a similar question, and I said, we, I, you know, as for the kindergartners, I kind of said, animal doctors almost, um, it, it's probably better to consider us animal detectives in the way that we kind of just use clues and put the, you know, that's sort of how we assess each patient that comes in, right? It's not one particular thing necessarily. It's a combination of factors that you put together. And um, it, it, it's, it, you get used to sort of, you know, there's obviously the more common things that we see on a much more regular basis. Um, and a lot of that comes from the clients. You know, a lot of the information that we use to assess a patient actually comes from the information that the client or the owner is able to give to us about how the animal is behaving or the abnormal behavior that they're experiencing at home. Because when they come into the vet hospital, these, you know, they're so stressed a lot of the times, you know, these, they're, they're trembling, these, these dogs and cats, like they're so nervous and it's so hard to accurately assess them. Um, so a lot of that data, a lot of the data we use and the information comes from the parent, the, the, the clients, the owners, you call them parents. 
um, but as well as like just information that we're able to assess on a physical exam and while they're here. Um, so it's not one particular thing, but it's kind of everything together that we try to put together um, to formulate a full, a, a bigger picture. And you mentioned that uh, during COVID, you taught a class um, to the kindergartners. What else have you been up to during COVID since it's kind of shifted um, how your business runs in the short term? Yeah, so we had our one-year anniversary yesterday. And I was kind of, you know, I was like, oh, I figured we still, I, I was hoping to have a big client appreciation event. And like, you know, I was really excited for that one year, you know, in the spring. And then like a couple months ago, I was like, I guess this, our spring is not going to be what we uh, originally envisioned. Um, we've been doing a couple of things, both from a business point of view and also trying to do some community stuff. Um, we've actually done quite a few Zooms for a lot of, um, for some local schools, kind of just filling in, giving them 20 minutes of them, like, you know, me talking, and I guess kids like to hear vets talk. <laughs> um, and then I've been, I was working with a organization called Chai uh, Lifeline, um, which is a, it's a Jewish organization, but what they do is they kind of support children that are unfortunately within a hospital setting or have a, some sort of illness that is hindering them from sort of experiencing something, whatever it may be. And obviously in this situation, a lot of them are really confined. So I was doing some Zoom um, video conferencing and stuff with some people, some of the uh, children through that organization. Um, from a business point of view, we've instituted some pretty strict protocols. Um, so Ontario has come down originally and kind of the vets were allowed to stay open but we were kind of limited to urgent care only and it's a little bit of a wide definition of what urgent care is but in general the idea is that you're really supposed to kind of limit the foot traffic of who and the, of both the patients and clients who are coming into the hospital for us personally due to our setup where i do have some private parking available which we're very lucky to have our protocol basically is that the clients, once they arrive, they call us and once one of the nurses or staff goes out to the car in full PP, um, retrieves the patient, they bring them into the hospital, and then via either FaceTime or on the phone, I spend the appointment on the phone with the client discussing everything. So there's that, we keep that separation. And to be honest with you, it's worked out quite well I would say 98% of our clients are completely understanding and actually like just appreciative that we're actually able to even be here and be open. Um, and, and it's kept, I think overall this, everyone knocking wood has been healthy here. Everyone's been kept safe. And I think it's also given the staff some reassurance that even though they're coming into work, that we're kind of, it's almost like we're quarantining ourselves in the hospital and it's only the five of us um, here. And like the interaction with everyone else is very limited. Yeah, that's good. I honestly am so glad that vets got to stay open. They're definitely a necessary service. That's the medical care of your pet. So it was a relief that Ontario decided. Yeah, I, I thought so. I thought it was going to be a whole, there would have been a lot of issues if if they had. I, I just think it would have been unnecessary stress on, on people that they're already during a stressful time. Like that's the last thing they need is to like have to worry about something, something, something else in their lives. And the other thing that we've kind of done is instituted some telemedicine, um, which, which is like a video conferencing um, for, for our clients and patients, which Ontario used to be pretty restrictive. And then the um, CVO, which is the College of Veterinarians of Ontario, kind of lifted a lot of the restrictions that they placed on telemedicine options, like prescribing medications, things like that. They kind of 
lift to those restrictions and are allowing us to do a lot more, at least for the time being. Yeah. I, and I like the telemedicine experience. It was really great that like you got to see our dogs frolicking mm-hmm. and being crazy. <laughs> and In their natural it's, habitat. It's, 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 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, it's such a it's such a relief that um, that there's other ways to communicate um, during a time like this. Um, the physical distancing that we're all experiencing is, is our pets are kind of going through that as well. And they can't really Zoom conference one another. So how, how, how can like make sure that the, our pets are like being socialized while also like keeping distance from other dogs it's it's a it's it's the most common question that i'm facing right now especially because we're seeing so many new puppies um which is great from a bonding perspective giving families some way to like sort of expend you know put their energy towards something positive and building this relationship Um, but part of a healthy upbringing for a puppy is socializing not just with the family with other people and with other dogs um, and it's so it's definitely a challenge that we're facing. Um, there's quite a few different options, and some of them are probably it, it, a lot of it depends on the person and, and how they're feeling on COVID restrictions and keeping social distancing is comforting to them. You know, some I have some clients where their neighbor has a dog, so they're they basically they share a backyard. So with their puppy, they're able. You know, they've kind of allowed the puppy to play with the neighbor's dog while still maintaining that physical social distance from the peep from the neighbor themselves. And then it, afterwards they give the dog a nice bath to make sure that there's not the possibility of acting as what's called a fomite, which is when the dog can potentially transmit, God forbid, there was the virus on the other dog contact wise transmitted to the family. Um, that's one of the more common occurrences that's, that's happening right now. Um, I find either like, if you have a family unit, you know, someone that you're, you've had contact with, you know, for whatever reason, if you're strictly quarantining, it's much harder. There is no easy way uh, to allow socialization. Definitely, you could have them, you could have them watch from a distance, which is still a good experience for most puppies and even most dogs where sitting on a porch and watching the action go by in front, you know, people walking by cars, the noises, um, without actually allowing that physical interaction is still beneficial. Um, so that's one thing, another thing that we've been recommending. Um, obviously dog parks have been closed and that's always, so it, it, there's no, there's no, there's not no replacement for direct socialization. Um, but just, you know, kind of building on that, it, you, you, getting them the experience of the sights and the sounds, however you go about doing it is very, is still kind of, will we'll still have a beneficial impact. Yeah, that's great advice. And do you have any kind of tips for people who, if they're strictly uh, self-isolating, how would they socialize their pet when their pet's in that later stage? To be honest with you, I, I haven't ha- I haven't come across any good answers to that. Um, I, I think that unfortunately, um, the best thing that they could do is whatever they're most comfortable with. Um, meaning that obviously the goal here is for everyone to take care of themselves and their own health is the primary goal right now and their family's health, depending on who they're isolating with. Um, the pet or their dog or cat or, is to fit into that family unit. And they have to make sure that they're doing whatever they're comfortable doing for themselves, their family, and their pet to protect themselves, but also to make sure that they're gaining those experiences. So not socializing a puppy it will have some potential deleterious effects, but those effects that you can't, that you can improve on those later in life. You know, there is, it may take some more work. It will take some training. It'll definitely take some effort, but 
later on in that dog's life, if they do exhibit socialization challenges, there's definitely things that can be done where and there's some great trainers in the city of Toronto, um, behave, you know, behavior modification. There's definitely options down the road. The goal is to try to avoid that. But like I said, I think taking care of your own health right now is of the utmost importance. So there's always things that we could potentially adapt later on and kind of make up for whatever we missed out on at this point. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, and uh, to kind of switch it on a little bit of a tangent here, uh, we both we we cook uh, food for our dogs ourselves, and I'm always kind of worried. Like, is there any specific nutrient that I'm kind of missing out? So, like, what what kind of things should I put in my dog's diet if I'm kind of making my own food? <laughs> a very common question. Um, so in general, um, dogs, as compared to cats, cats have a much stricter requirement when it comes to dietary needs. Um, dogs, there's definitely more variation and you have more. But you got to be careful um, in general that you feeding them, you know, a, a protein and one or two vegetables is pr- every is probably not covering all the bases for them. Um, and, you know, a lot of times you could, inter- you know, you can incorporate a, a multivitamin um, and there are there are even there are comp- some companies out there that have a home cooked food topping. So it's minerals and vitamins that you add to your home cooked meal, each meal that are the the things that are less likely to be included in what you're making at home. If you both, you know, I always recommend this. If you are committed to a full home cooked diet, um, the best one of the there's a website called balanceit.com. Okay, and it's actually great. And if you go on it, it gives you all these options. Basically, it's like a mixology for dog for home cooked dog food. And what that means is you you kind of click, you kind of choose which proteins you want, what vegetables you want. If you want to add some, you know, you should add some some grains. So what type of grain you want to add, and then it kind and then it gives you a fully balanced recipe as well as what that diet is lacking in. So then it will tell you, you need to incorporate this, this, and this in order to make sure that your pet is getting a fully balanced meal. Well, that's great. And then to switch it um, up, um, can you talk a bit about the education process of becoming a vet and what that looks like? Uh, sure. It's, um, you know, it's, it's like any uh, professional degree. Uh, basically, it does require, uh, so I'm going to speak, sorry. So let me, let me just caveat this. I am American at birth and, grew, and I went through the American school system. I know the Canadian was very, very similar, uh, but there may be some small differences that I may misspeak on. So um, at least for me, it's, it, it's, four years of undergraduate. Um, There are some programs where you actually could do a three-year undergraduate and you get an accelerated acceptance into vet school. So it's basically, but the more common pathway is four years undergrad and then a four years of a graduate program, aka four years out of vet school. So there are some programs where you can condense it into seven years total. Um, And then following graduation, the main difference between veterinarian medicine and human medicine is, generally speaking, when you graduate from vet school, you are considered a full-fledged veterinarian. There is no further training that is required. Uh, so a lot, most, I'd say at least 50 to 70% of graduates out of vet school go directly into practice. There is a option where you can then go on and sort of continue your training. Um, usually that starts with an internship which is what I did, which is a one-year program where you kind of rotate through some more specialty type services at a larger hospital. Uh, So including emergency surgery, internal medicine, you do a one-year internship. 
and then you can go and subspecial and specialize and subspecialize. So it's actually quite remarkable what's going on in the veterinary medicine community at this point. We have doctors that have specialized in, I mean, you name it at this point, I'm sure there's a specialist in, in Toronto, Ontario for, for, for pets um, in that field. So after your one-year internship, sometimes you need to do a second internship, or you could do that if you're capable and able and get accepted into a residency program, you then go ahead for another two to four years of a residency to allow yourself to specialize. For, for my for my last question, can you tell me something about yourself that's not on your LinkedIn? That's not on my LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. Like not on your resume. Not on your social media or... or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, that's a good <laughs> a very personal question. Um, I guess uh, I can know a couple of things. I am a, uh, I'm a big Civil War and World, World War II history buff, um, which is, I guess, fits into that geeky veterinary inside of myself. Um, uh, I have two two kids who have taken over one a three year old who I've obviously um, I spend all of my time with whenever I'm not now working at the hospital, which is that's pretty much where I spend ninety eight percent of my time at this point. And I guess recently, everyone's here. I'm telling everyone about it, so I might as well tell you guys about it. I started doing CrossFit lately, and I guess it, part of being doing CrossFit is that you have to tell people that you do it's CrossFit. Tell everybody. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's part of the requirement. So I guess people would be upset with me if I didn't mention that. <laughs> well, it's good to know that you're staying healthy and happy and everything during this time. And uh, we're so grateful that um, your practice and other vets get to stay open. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us on this recording today. Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder every week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city. Until next time.